in case uh, in case you don't know me, especially on the on the the interwebs out there, my name is Lucas, and I will be reading the scripture for today. There we go. The scripture for today, Second uh, Peter chapter three, verses one through nine. This now beloved is the second letter that I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in these last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape notice, beloved that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that we would See your heart. You desire for all to come to repentance, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be awakened to truth this morning, that we would remember what is good, what is beautiful, what is true. We would believe it, and we would turn the course of our lives to it. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Today is our second ever church-wide communion Sunday. We did the first one back in March, sending out our deacons, many of our deacons to our homebound members, enabling us all to take communion together as a church family scattered across the city. And based on the response from those who participated last time, your, your deacons and I agreed that we need to keep doing this. Uh, at least once a quarter, even if it means low attendance Sunday here, we want to send folks out so that uh, uh, church-wide communion continues to happen. Uh, we put it on the calendar back in March, but it wasn't until this past week, as I was studying our next Second Peter passage, that I realized just how fitting this text is for a church-wide communion Sunday. It isn't an obvious one that I would have picked for a communion Sunday. It doesn't talk directly about the Lord's Supper like some other passages. But the three things that Peter calls for in this passage are the same three things that Jesus calls for when we come to the Lord's table. I'll summarize those three calls quickly for you now before we take a longer look at each of them. First, we'll see in verses 1 through 2. Peter's call to remember. He calls us to remember. He's stirring us up by way of reminder, he says. Then 
we'll see Peter call us to know something. That is to believe something is true in verses 3 through 8. And then finally, we'll see Peter call us to repent. To repent in light of God's patience, verse 9. Remember, believe, repent. Remember, believe, repent. That's a pretty fair summary of what we do each time we come to the Lord's table, isn't it? Remember, believe, repent. So for our outline today, we're going to look at those three responses and what Peter means by them here first. But then we also want to look at those three responses through the lens of coming to the Lord's table. Because that's the response we're building up to. Both here in the building and worshiping from home with members we've sent out, we're building up to a time of response, which gives us an opportunity to do all of these things at once. Remember, believe, repent. So let's see these three calls this morning in the order that Peter gives them. First, remember. Remember the words. Remember the words. Verses 1 through 2. Now this, beloved, is the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words, remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Peter speaks a reminder in verse 1 and calls us to remember the words, verse 2. Remember the words spoken by the apostles, spoken by the prophets. Remember the words spoken by way of command from our Lord and Savior. Essentially, Peter calls us to remember the word that comes to us through the Bible, through the Old Testament, the word written by the prophets. Remember that? Remember the words that come to you through the Gospels, the recorded words of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And remember the word that comes through the apostles, the rest of the New Testament. Remember these words. Remember the word of God. Why? Why do we need to fill our mind, fill our memories with the word of God? Because the word of God reveals to us the mind of God. The word of God reveals to us the heart of God. Just like you write a letter to a loved one, and that letter reveals your mind, your thoughts, your heart, your perspective, the words God has inspired reveal his mind, his perspective, his heart, his character to us. But there's a problem, isn't there? We are monumental forgetters, are we not? We need constant reminders. We are monumental forgetters, and our minds are in need of a renovation. Sin has so infected us that it's like black mold and termites infest a room, infest our mental house. Our mental house isn't naturally all in order. It's naturally full of corruption. Our minds are like ongoing renovation projects with walls that need to be knocked down, stains that need to be mopped up, corners that need to be swept out. How does this happen? How does this renovation happen 
in us. It can't be through looking within to our own resources, to our own intuitions, to our own desires. It was those kind of things that got us into trouble in the first place. It's those kind of things that messed up the room. We can't look within for real change and renovation. We have to look without. We have to look to an external word. We have to look to an eternal mind. An eternal mind that is wise and compassionate enough to speak to us in words. In human words that we can understand. If God's word, it's, it's in his word that his eternal perspective shines forth. His eternally true perspective that does the renovation work in our lives. It's remembering his words that cleans up the messy rooms in our mind. Jesus said this very thing would happen. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. Literally, he cleanses. He cleanses it so that it may bear more fruit. You know what the next verse is? What Jesus says next? You are already clean. You are already cleansed because of what? The word I have spoken to you. I'm the vine, you're the branch. You want to bear fruit? You got to be clean. You got to be cleansed. How does that cleansing come? You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The words of Jesus have a cleansing power. They have a renovating effect upon our minds. But only when we remember them. That's what Peter says. Verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the prophets, by the Lord, by the apostles. We won't be changed by words we've forgotten. We won't find help in the moment of temptation if we can't recall a single thing God has said. We've got to remember. We're called to remember. Otherwise, our old default responses will take over. We will act just like everyone else when Jesus and his words are nowhere on our radar. When we forget God's word, it's like we are flying on autopilot. There's no external force. There's, there's no hands on the controls flying the plane. There's no eternal mind whose wisdom is rerouting us through the turbulence to a place of peace. When we don't remember the word, we are left to ourselves. It's like we're left to ourselves and to our own resources. We are left to our own wisdom and our own devices. Our greatest needs in life, if, if we're to chart a true course to be faithful to the end, our, one of our greatest needs in life is to remember the words of our king. But, you might say to me, Pastor KJ, I completely agree, but my memory isn't what it once was. It's hard for me to remember my spouse's words 
and those are sometimes shouted at me. It's hard for me to remember my own words sometimes, and I'm the one that said them. So how can I remember God's words? Well, let me encourage you. This is one of the things God has designed worship to help us with. This very thing that we are doing right now, God designed it to help us get this external word into our hearts and minds. Through the word being preached, through prayers being prayed, through the songs we sing. We didn't have the projectors this morning, but how many of you knew the words from heart? Right? It's getting these truths into ourselves is what God has designed this time to do. This weekly rhythm of singing, of praying, of hearing God's word is designed by God to make you remember, to feed you, even if your memory is slipping. I'll confess to you that I don't remember every sermon from God's word I've ever heard, or even that I myself have preached. Of course I don't. Likewise, I don't remember every meal that I've ever eaten. But I can say this of both, that they have sustained me thus far. Many a meal I've forgotten has sustained me to this point. Many a word from God I've forgotten has sustained me to this present day. And the same is true for you. And here we are again, coming to hear a sustaining word and being stirred up by way of reminder. By God's grace and the rhythm he's designed for our lives, we will be back again and again and again to feast on God's word with God's people. This is part of the way we're called to remember. We are called to remember the words as we go through life. And we're called to remember as we come to the Lord's table. As we come to the Lord's table later in our service, we are called to remember. Remember the words of the Old Testament prophets that Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Those words we remember today as we see them visibly displayed in the Lord's Supper. We also remember the words of the New Testament apostles. That as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The apostles call us to remember the weighty things we do as we receive communion this morning. It's a sacred proclamation, not to be undertaken flippantly or without faith. Remember also the words of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. Do you know what he says next? You are my friends. You are my friends. 
This meal is a friendship meal purchased at a high price. The great price Jesus paid on the cross. As we come to the table today, we're called first to remember. There's a second command for us to see. We see it first in verse 3. We're called to remember the words. Secondly, we are called to know the times. Know the times. And we see that in verses 3 through 8. Look at verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter says, know this, in the last days, here's what you will encounter. You'll encounter mockers saying, where is this king you expect to return? It's been nearly 2,000 years. Where is he? Where is this new world he's going to make? Everything just continues along as it has since our fathers buried their fathers. Nothing has really changed. Isn't this coming king of yours just a fairy tale? That you need to outgrow. When people talk and mock you like this, Peter says there, is, there are some really important things they're overlooking. Look at verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 it says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded. With water. Peter says that at least two things escape the mocker's notice. First, they forget God has a very, very, very long time horizon. (laughs) By his word, the heavens existed long ago. What's a long time to you isn't a long time to the one who made everything. The mockers can't fathom a time horizon in which 2,000 years isn't a long time to wait. But there's a second thing the mockers fail to notice. They fail to see that all of this has happened before. Mockers have already come saying, everything just continues the same way. It's, It's just as it's always been. And you're a fool to think otherwise. You're a fool to live otherwise. People were saying that. But then, the door to the ark was shut. And the flood came. God destroyed the ancient world with water. And all of Noah's mockers, which I can can just picture his neighbors standing around jeering. At Noah and his family as they work on the ark year after year, decade after decade. All those mockers are washed away. As the waters above and the waters below both flood the surface of the earth and change everything. By the way, we know that God can create water out of nothing. Don't we? You know that. He created ex nihilo from nothing in the beginning. 
So a global flood from scratch is, not, is no biggie for God, right? It's not a big deal. But for a long time, the critique has been made that there's just not enough water on planet Earth to account for a global flood. Have you ever heard that before? There's just not enough water. If you haven't heard that by now, you probably won't hear it ever. Because, big surprise, the science has changed. Just in the last eight years, we've discovered that the amount of water under the Earth's crust is vastly more than anyone ever imagined. And with every new test and estimate, every new discovery, that estimate, it it only increases. Now, my faith does not ride at all upon new discoveries. But it also doesn't surprise me to find that science is still playing catch-up with what the Maker has revealed. We're still waiting for all the facts to come in. But in the meantime, let's not be swayed by the mockers whose facts will be outdated and needing to be updated in a very short space of time. Don't be swayed by the mockers. That's an aside. Here's the point. All of Noah's mockers are destroyed in a very Franz Kafka-like moment. There's a sudden realization that the world really can change in a moment. Reality really can be upended in one event. For the ancient world who mocked Noah, it was judgment through water and flood. For the modern world, judgment is also coming but it will be through fire and flame. Look at verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. If judgment by water represents a cleansing and starting over, then judgment by fire represents a fundamental reforging and recrafting of nature itself. As Christians, we're called to know and believe that God will fundamentally remake this world. The day of judgment will burn away all that is corrupt, all that is sinful, all that is a cause of grief and pain, all that is part of the curse. Jesus said all these old things, these former things, will pass away. But behold, I will make all things new. The world will be reforged and made a place where death has no place any longer. Parasites, decomposers have no place. Termites, mosquitoes, no place. There is no need because nothing rots, nothing corrupts. Everything, including our bodies, are remade imperishable, immortal. Why? Why do we need such a world? Why do we need such a change? You know the answer? Because God himself has said that he will come and dwell with us. This present world and our present bodies are not equipped to handle that reality. The Bible says we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. 
can put that over the nursery as well. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. This, this time, this season must come to an end so that a new day can dawn. So know the time, Christians. Know the times and believe that this time will come. And believe this about time. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now, while I would not say that this verse teaches that God is timeless, as some might, the timelessness of God, I will certainly say from this verse that God experiences time differently than we do. For God, so much thought and action and grace and work are packed into a single moment of a single day that it might as well have been stretched out into thousands of years. But at the same time, a thousand years is just like one drop in the ocean to God. He is from eternity past. He is from everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says. 2,000 years may be like a long time to a modern mocker, but it is not a long time to God. This ought to reset some expectations that we have for our lives. When we're young, we think, when we may expect, I'll be the perfect mature man by the time I'm 30, by the time I'm 40, maybe, maybe even 50. But for God, a hundred years of working on the same lump of clay is not a long time. Not a long time. God takes the long view of his work in us. And if we don't want to be short-sighted like the mockers, we should as well. Take the long view. God takes the long view of us. But he also can pack a thousand years worth of thought and design and action into a single moment. We need to know this about time and believe this about God. As we come to take communion, there are some things we need to know about time. We need to know the testimony of times past. There was a time in redemptive history where God taught his people through the sacrificial system. Sacrifices were offered upon an altar in the temple so that we today might have categories to understand what God is doing at this time, at this altar. Here, we have a visual picture of the Lamb of God slain for us. Like sinful priests, we need this atoning sacrifice. As a kingdom of priests, we also eat and live off of this sacrificial lamb. We need to come to this table remembering the times past. But also, we come to this table knowing that this time is a foretaste of what's to come. The Lord's Supper comes to us as an often repeated foretaste and promise. A promise that you have a place awaiting you in the future around the table of the King. You have a seat at Christ's table in the heavenly banquet which is to come. We need to recognize how this experience in the present 
points our hearts to a time that is coming in the future. We also need to know that this is a special time we are partaking in now. This is a special season where grace is being extended. It's a season of grace that, like the flood, will one day come to a sudden climactic end. For now, there is grace and opportunity to repent. That brings us to our third and final point. Look with me in verse 9 and see, see this. We need to repent while there is time. Repent while there is time. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here is another thing that the mockers do not understand. Jesus isn't slow to return because he lacks power. He is slow to return because he is full of patience. He is given the opportunity to repent, to switch your loyalties from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of the sun. C.S. Lewis pointed out that we would not think very much of that Frenchman who only stopped collaborating with the Nazis and declared himself for the Allies once the D-Day invasion had passed his door. Right? Likewise, by the time the king arrives, it's too late to declare yourself to be his man. Like with the flood, once the deluge arrives, it is too late to join Noah and his family in the boat. The door of the ark has already been shut. The door to salvation has been closed. And like with Noah building the ark for all of his neighbors to see, this coming judgment isn't a closely guarded secret, is it? God has told us again and again in so many ways that the day of judgment is coming. There will be a day of reckoning. But in his patience, it is not this day. Today is a day of grace. It's a day to be made right with God through the Savior who offers himself to you here at this table. As we come to the Lord's table, we are coming by faith to the table of a king. In communion, we are declaring ourselves for him. We are kissing the king's ring. We are claiming his sacrifice for ourselves. We are repenting of all our acts of treason and throwing ourselves upon the king's mercy. This meal is proof you can touch that the king is merciful. This meal is proof that you can taste that our Lord is good. So, as we prepare our hearts to come to Christ's table, both in the sanctuary here and gathered at home across the city, let's come remembering the words of a king, a king who speaks to us in this supper. Let's come knowing and believing that this is a special time of grace, full of precious assurances for struggling sinners. Let's come repenting and clinging to the patience of our God and Savior. He is giving us abundant opportunity to turn to him. His arms are open wide to us at this table. 
Let's prepare our hearts now to commune with our Lord as we pray, as we sing, as we come to his table. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would stamp these responses upon our hearts. May we remember your words. May we remember words that are good and true, that are good news for our soul, that a king has come and he has laid down his life for us. Here, we see the visible, physical symbol of it. May our hearts know it and believe it to be true. And as we come, may we come repenting of our treason against this king. May we come owning his sacrifice for us. May we come feeling this precious assurance that we have a seat around the table of the king. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name as we come. Amen.